here. Okay, so I'm green here. Am I on out there? Put another quarter in. It's going to be. Tim, did you take your medicine tonight? He's rowdy. Well, bless the Lord. Good to be in God's house tonight. Uh, we're in Matthew 13. Enjoying, I'm enjoying this study. I'm enjoying these kingdom parables. I hope that we're getting a perspective of the kingdom that is renewing the way we think on a daily basis. If we get up in the morning, we shouldn't think I'm here to go to work, make enough money to eat and keep the lights on and just make it through the day. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And uh, because of that, we are just passing through here. We're not building our empire here because we're just passing through. And I've used that illustration of you, you don't wash and wax a rental car. You don't change the oil on a rental car. You beat that rental car like a rented mule and you turn it in. So we shouldn't put so much effort into the temporal things. We should do our best. We should honor the Lord. We should love everybody within our reach. But we're not, we're not here to stay. Think about that for a second. We're not here to stay. We're just passing through. So, Father, as we unpack these kingdom principles and these kingdom parables, Father, impress upon us that we should be laboring to sow treasure and our energy and our focus into a different kingdom, not the one we see, not the temporary kingdom that we live in right now, but in the eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that everything we would do would be paying it forward, would be sending it forward, would be uh, living it forward for the kingdom that we will spend eternity in. I pray all that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. So we're looking at the kingdom parables here. We're going to be in Verse 31 of Matthew 13, I'm going to read 31 to 32, and then we'll jump in. Matthew 13, 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain, is likened unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Just two verses. Yet a powerful uh, illustration, a, power, a powerful parable. And we define parables as short, relevant stories of things that we can understand that make a deeper spiritual meaning. So Again, we're seeing a comparison here, and we're going to see how this parable unpacks a truth about the kingdom of God. Now, the second kingdom parable is the one of the mustard seed. Say mustard. It's not just what you put on your hot dogs. It's grown, and it's used for a lot of different things. Uh, my father-in-law is a cattle rancher in Saskatchewan, and uh, he took me out one time to a, a seed of mustard. And it, it was an amazing thing because... You know, you, you grab the bottle of Gouldens or French's and, you know, you just squeeze it. But you don't realize where that comes from. And here before me are literally miles of mustard grain just kind of waving in the breeze. You know, and you take one of the heads and crack it and rub it between your fingers and get the seeds out of there. And if you've ever had whole grain mustard or long grain mustard, you know those seeds in there? Yeah. 
That's, that's that. So it's, you know, it's a crop. It's something that farmers plant and harvest. And this mustard seed here is something, again, that they were all familiar with. Remember, parables are, parables are things that the, the people who are hearing them, they were familiar with these things. So they knew right what Jesus was talking about when he talked about mustard seeds. And notice all of these parables paint a picture for us of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. And you say, well, why does Jesus take the time to do seven of them? Because we live in a world that is unlike the kingdom of God. So everything around us, all of our senses, everything we see, feel, taste, touch, smell, that doesn't show us the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is different than this natural present-day world that we live in. So Jesus gives us these parables to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And it's unlike anything that our natural senses can comprehend or understand, but he uses things that we're familiar with to show us the bigger picture. Let me tell you what I mean. I can't see the holy angels of God uh, in this place right now, but they're here. There's angels all around us now. Does anybody see them? I'm, I'm glad. There's always one in every crowd. <laughs> I see them. Now, I'm not saying you can't see angels, but, but it's the invisible realm. It's the heavenly realm. It's a different dimension. It's a different kingdom. So the reality is there's angels everywhere, but we can't see them. I can't see the Holy Spirit with my naked eye, but he's moving in the midst of us right now. We can feel him. We can feel his presence, but we don't see him with our eyes, but he's here. I can't hear the angels praising God in heaven around the throne right now, but that's exactly what they're doing. The cherubim around the throne, and they are praising God with all their might, and it's happening right now, and I can't see it, I can't feel it, I can't hear it, but it's happening. So we're talking about different realms, and we're talking about uh, illustrations that are going to show us the difference between the kingdom we live in here and the, the seen kingdom and the unseen realm. So understand the purpose of these. It's very possible for us to become a lot more in tune and a lot more sensitive to spiritual things, to kingdom things, if we incline ourselves to them. We got to be looking for it. We got to be aware of it. We got we to gotta not have the look that we have on our face right now when I say kingdom. Because a lot of times we're out of touch with it. But when we're looking for the manifestations of the kingdom of God, when we're looking for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, we see a lot more of it when we're looking for it. You say, well, well, how do I become more sensitive? How do I become more in tune? It, it's, it's a combination of a few things. One is personal holiness. We have got to embrace personal holiness if we want God to reveal himself to us in greater dimensions. We can't, you know, have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and Sunday, hallelujah, and Monday, blankety, blank, blank, blank. The duplicity of that, you know, kind of just puts a wall between us and God, and he can't cast his pearls before us when we're half in and half out. So holy living is one, one way that we can be more in tune, that we can, you know, connect more with the kingdom of God and be sensitive to the things of the spirit. Also, living a spirit-led life. See, we're either walking in the flesh or we're being led by the spirit. 
It's one or the other. Well, I'm a, I'm a half and half. I'm a little bit. I'm, one, I'm once in a while. No, we're either led by the Spirit of God or we're walking in the flesh. And so when we're walking in the flesh, we're not going to see the things of the kingdom. But if we're led by the Spirit, we're going to see kingdom things. Realize the disciples, when they were led by Jesus, how many kingdom things they saw. They were in the midst of all the miracles, all the manifestations. Jesus took three of them with him, and he, he, you know, he, he revealed himself to them at the Mount of Transfiguration. Wow, how, how, did they, you know, how did they get to experience that? They were being led by Jesus. As we're led by the Spirit of God, we're going to see more and more kingdom things. As we embrace personal holiness, we're going to see more and more kingdom things. Uh, if we understand... Uh, solid kingdom theology, it's going to increase our awareness that the kingdom is happening all around us. You see, if you don't learn this kingdom theology, if you don't learn that we're in the world but not of it, that we are of a different kingdom, that we've been bought with a price, that the blood of the lamb has made us citizens of heaven even while we walk upon the earth, if, if we don't know all this, we, we are not going to see it. In churches that don't teach this or don't talk about the kingdom, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message on the kingdom of God. In Bible school, Pastor Mike and I had to take a whole class on the kingdom of God. And, you know, it was an eye-opener for, for me. I, I sat in church for a long time, but that, that was an eye-opener for me, and I hope it's an eye-opener for all of us today. So verse 31 tells us, what the kingdom of heaven, and remember the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they're interchangeable, same, same thing. What the kingdom of God is like, and in this case, Jesus likens it unto a mustard seed. Now, he uses in this parable a comparison using like or as, and that's called a simile. Uh, those of us who are good at grammar and understand English, you know, the, the very few of us, we know that a comparison is, using like or as is a simile, which is a metaphor. And he uses this metaphor to compare two things to one another to show the similarities between them. And so that's how this parable is working out here. He's using this metaphor. He's using the simile. He's using a comparison using like or as. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, he's trying to show us similarities between the mustard seed and the kingdom of God. So what are the similarities between the two? The first is this. The things of the kingdom are most often given to us in seed form. If you're taking notes tonight, the things of the kingdom, they come to us mostly in seed form. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by this. Uh, seeds in the natural, you know, most of us garden, most of us have grown flowers, most of us understand that flowers come from seeds, and, and you know, and you, you plant the seed and it sprouts, and you put it in that little Dixie cup in your window, you know, and then you watch it grow, and then you transplant it to the dirt outside. It's a cool process, isn't it? It's an amazing thing that God has given us in the seed. What an example and illustration of kingdom things, but uh, the... The kingdom of God is like a seed, so it's sown, then it germinates, then it must be cultivated, it needs sunlight, it grows, it comes to maturity, and all of that has to happen before it produces the desired fruit. If you eat an orange today and you spit the seed out and you plant it, you better be good at waiting for your next orange because it's going to take some time. And God has shown us that the things in the kingdom are given to us in kingdom 
uh, in seed form. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. So there's the illustration. There's the, the, the metaphor. Uh, so many uh, things that we see in the, in the seed translate over to the spiritual potential that we have because we're given things in seed form. Let me tell you what I mean by that. None of us come out a perfect finished work. When we're born, we're just a big ball of potential. But none of us have, you know, the things that God's given us, the giftings. None of us have all of those things in complete form. We are a seed, essentially. So everything we have from the kingdom is given to us in seed form. How about our anointing? Do you know all of us have an anointing? Because, well, you say, not me, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the ministry. No, every believer has an anointing. Because you have gifts, and with that, those gifts go an anointing to use those gifts, amen? Now, an, an anointing speaks of, you know, in Scripture, they would pour anointing oil over a prophet or over a, you know, a teacher or whoever, or a king, they would anoint them. You've probably seen this before. They pour the oil, and it runs down the beard, and it runs all over, and you say, man, I, that looks cool, but don't you dare do that to me. Well, too late because you've already been anointed. And the gifts that you have have a spiritual strengthening, a spiritual enabling that comes from your anointing. But listen to me. Our anointings come to us in seed form. When Billy Graham popped out of his mother's womb, he didn't begin to preach the gospel. Understand that everything in our anointing, all of those things, they have to be developed. Listen, if you heard the first message I preached it's, it's not, this one's going to be better. I re- <laughs> because there's a developing, there's something that's developed, amen. And, the, and there was an anointing to preach there. At 14 years old, I got saved. I opened the Bible, the words began to leap off the pra- pages. I, I write things down. I'd get up in front of people at a coffee house and begin to preach. I had a good time. I don't know if they had a good time. <laughs> but that gift has developed over the years. And the, the, the anointing develops. Well, why does it have to develop? Why can't you just have it? Why can't it just, bang, you got it? And no, it's, it's something that comes to us in seed form. In fact, all of our gifts come to us in seed form. You know, I didn't start off preaching like this. I didn't start off playing instruments like this. Tony, you know, as a musician, right, we do a lot of practicing. You know, it, sometimes I think of the amount of practicing I've done, I should have this, you know, music stuff figured out by now. As a young man, I would spend hours and hours and hours playing the guitar. My dad would come downstairs. It would be midnight. His hair was standing up. He'd say, go to sleep. Remember? Put that thing down. But I couldn't. You see, it was a gift, but it came in seed form. You don't see a concert pianist, you know, at 70 years old, they sit him down on the bench, they put his hands on the key, and he, he bangs out Chopin. No, it's a skill that has to be developed. You might have musical gifts. You might have speaking gifts. You might have teaching gifts. You might have all healing gifts, but they all have to be developed. You say, well, why? Why can't we just drop them on us? Because gives everything to us in seed form. Do you know even our relationships that we have start off in seed form? Every relationship, including the one you have with God, it's something that has to be worked on and developed, and you need to spend time with him, amen? 
You don't just come up to the altar, yeah, I got me some Jesus, I'm good now, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm good, no, I'll see you in heaven, Jesus, I'm going to go, no, you got to spend time with him and develop that relationship, a marriage. This year, very soon in October here, I'm going to be married 30 years to my wife. When we started off, we were just kids, She's, she was 20, I was 23, I mean, now I'm not telling you how old we are, but, you know... The difference between how we knew each other and the intimacy we had and the mileage we had and the trust we had then and now, it's, it's exponentially different. That marital relationship started off in seed form and it's grown and it's flourished. Understand, every relationship you have, marriages, friendships, ministry relationships, relationships with your children, uh, wherever they are, they take work and they come in seed form and we've got to labor to develop them. Our gifts, our anointing, all of these things, all of these kingdom things come to us in seed form. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard, it's like a, a mustard seed. It makes sense because the seed principle is a powerful principle in the kingdom of God. So none of us can throw our hands up in frustration you know, because we're not where we want to be. We, it's a process. So you're in process. So take some of the stress off yourself. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is in charge of the process. And he's the one getting it done. Amen. Listen, God's not phoning the Holy Spirit and go, you're way behind on Leonardo. You need to, you need to pick up the pace here. He's not even close to where we need him to be. Some of you are like, yeah, he's got it under control. Well, it doesn't feel like it's under control. Well, we don't walk by feelings. We, we walk by faith. And understand, we're being developed. And don't get frustrated. And don't be like, well, you know, there are times where we take detours. And there, it's true that we do waste time. But if we're not going to put the work in to develop those gifts and develop those anointings and develop those relationships then in, in, in some sense, the Holy Spirit has to take us kicking and screaming. The best we can do is cooperate with him. Most fruit trees and, and trees that produce fruits or nuts, they take years and years of growth before they produce reliable crops. You know, you walk through the woods and some years there's so many acorns on the woods floor, you just, I mean, you step on them everywhere. Do you know that it takes an oak tree 20 years before it will produce one acorn? 20 years. And it takes 50 years for it to be in its prime. At 80 years, they're usually shot. A white oak can live 120, 170, can live a long time. But it, 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 there's a process. 20 years before the first acorn, 50 years is when it's hitting its stride. And then by 80, it's going to slow down and stop producing. You know, understand, uh, fruit production uh, takes time. Apple trees, if you grow one from a seed, can take between 3 and 10 years, depending on the variety of apple, to produce one apple. You know, that's, that's part of why I didn't put fruit trees on my property i didn't have the patience to wait for them i'm like i want to stick the apple tree in the ground and water it and see apples but it doesn't work that way it takes two to four years for a peach tree to make a peach three to five years for an orange tree to make an orange so you get the you get the point here we're talking about fruits and nuts christians should be able to relate to this 
Do you ever hear about the granola church, fruits, nuts, and flakes? Tom, you been to any of those churches? No comment. Smart man. So understand fruit production, production, seeds growing, all of these things takes time. So I want to encourage you tonight, keep sowing, keep cultivating, keep allowing the Holy Spirit to water you. Watch and wait and allow these things to develop in your life. Labor uh, on these things, your anointings, your giftings, your relationships. They will produce at some point. And when they do, the fruit that they produce will produce eternal things. That's what's awesome about kingdom things, amen? They're eternal things. I mean, that oak tree, after all those years, Louis, it conks out. I got some white oaks that don't produce anything. I'm looking at them, my chainsaw is hungry. It's like, let, 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 let's get this thing out of there. It's taking sunlight and it's, you know, let's let it warm the house. But in the kingdom, it's not like that. When we start to begin to produce fruits and we, we begin to produce these things that have been cultivated in us, they last forever. We can take them with us to heaven. Wow. Powerful stuff. So verse 32 continues here, and it describes the nature of the mustard seed. So kind of got the understanding of verse 31 there. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, so we understand that. Verse 32, which is indeed the least of all seeds. Now, 32 is going to tell us some things about the mustard seed. It's the least of all seeds. When it's grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air will come and lodge in it. So verse 32 is going to tell us some of the you know, dynamics of the mustard seed to continue the metaphor here. The first thing Jesus wants, to know, wants us to know about a mustard seed is it is the smallest. It is the least of all seeds. There was a time years and years ago when I preached about the mustard seed, and so we had some mustard seeds. Do you remember that candy? I remember so maybe you pulled them out of somewhere, and they just magically appeared. But we passed them around that night, and they were so tiny. You know, they were, you're looking at them like, wow, look at this little thing. It's and Jesus makes the point right out of the box. It's the least. It's the smallest of all seeds. Now, I want to say something about that point. You might think, okay, it's a small seed. We don't like small stuff. None of us like small stuff, whether we'll admit it or not, but we don't. You know, if you if you have a choice between a big, luxurious house or a little small one or the big, big apartment or the small one, come on, which one are you going to take? Thank you. And if you're a weirdo and you say the small one, just be quiet. But, you know, we want the big office. We want the big house. We want the big bedroom, you know, the master bedroom, amen. You don't want the bedroom where you're in the bed like this. You feel like a hot dog. You reach over. You open your drawer. You take this out. You you go like this. No, we want a big bedroom, right? I remember looking at houses. You look at going some of these houses you're looking at. The bedroom's like, what are you going to put in here? My dog rolls over. He'll hit the wall. You, this is too small. We, want, we, we, we appreciate those things. We want the big office. We want the big bedroom. We want the big bathroom, amen. Do you realize back, back in the day, bathrooms are small. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of these master bathrooms with these huge showers, they're bigger than apartments that I've lived in, just a bathroom, right? So we, we don't like small stuff. We don't want the small piece of cake. Come on, full gospel center. Someone gives you, you know, the small piece of cake. They put it on your plate. You're like, 
Where's the rest of it? We don't want that. We don't want the small ice cream cone. These little ice cream cones is mostly cone. There's a little boop. Hold that thing up. I want to be like this when I walk out of there. We already talked about the small slice of pizza. None of us like that. You know, when I hear somebody order a small, and I'm at a restaurant or online for something, I hear, I'll take a small. I have to, like, make sure my face doesn't show what I'm feeling inside, the disdain that I feel small. I'll have a small Coke. It's all ice. They're ripping you off. Small fries. They're just live a little bit. Have some fries. We don't like small stuff, whether we'll admit it or not. Now, I'm making this point here to show you that Jesus takes the thing that maybe we're not comfortable with, maybe that we wouldn't choose, and he takes the smallest seed, and uh, he does something powerful with it. Now, if, you know, if we have this issue with small things and we see things as small and we don't think they're spiritually potent, we're going to have a problem. One reason most of us don't like small things is because the smallness of the thing suggests maybe insufficiency or lack, and we much rather have abundance. Most of us would like to have too much instead of not enough. Someone say amen. And so small suggests lack, insufficiency. You know, another reason we don't like small is because it's hard for us to know the potential of something small. You know, this seed is small, but it's going to eventually be huge. But when we see small things, we don't know the potential of it. Maybe it's going to stay small forever. Maybe it's a small gift. Maybe it's a small anointing. Maybe it's a small job. And, and, and instinctively, we, we don't want it. But Jesus takes the small things. He takes the insignificant things. He takes the foolish things of this world and confounds the wise. Now, I want to say something. You know, we shouldn't despise small things. And I want to tell you three ways we shouldn't. Don't despise small progress. You know, some people quit because they're only making a little progress. Why would you ever do that? You're making progress. You know, any kind of progress is good progress. Any kind of growth is good growth. And some people say, oh, man, it's not happening fast enough for me. This is why people quit playing instruments, quit, quit doing, you know, uh, jobs, or just they, they quit at things because it's not happening fast enough for them. They don't like the small thing, but we can't despise the small progress. Zechariah 4.10, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So God says, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise the slow growth. Don't despise it. Celebrate it. Why celebrate it? Because the Lord celebrates it. He rejoices. God, I want to I I go quicker. I want to go faster. I want to be bigger. Patience. You're just a seed, and you're growing. So don't quit. Don't despise small progress. Number two, don't despise small responsibilities. Some of us get a little job, and we don't want to do it because we think it's insignificant and it's too easy for us, and so we don't want to do it at all. And understand, you know, God assigns us things in the kingdom sometimes, and, and they're seemingly small jobs. But you're never going to get the big job unless you do the small job. You, you don't start off in the corner office. You don't start off with the, you know, with the big car, the big... You got to start off small. And that's the business world, but it's also in the kingdom. 
You know, God's not, well, we're going to just put, and that's why when I see, you know, people who are novices, people who are untested, people who are newly saved, put in positions of authority, we've all seen it in the body of Christ, a celebrity gets saved, and they're a baby Christian, and all of a sudden they're a pastor, and they got a big church, and not one of them that I've ever seen have lasted, and all of them have hurt people, because the Bible says not to lay hands on anyone suddenly, not to put someone in a position of leadership that where they're a novice. But yet, we've seen it happen because people don't want to start off small because they don't like small and they despise the small. If God's given you a small responsibility, do it to the best of your ability. Listen to Luke 19, 16 and 17. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. So let's say a mina was a dollar. He said, you, you know, you gave me a mina. This is the parable where everybody was given a certain amount. He, he said, I had one, I earned 10. Listen to God's response. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a very little thing. Now have authority over 10 cities. Wow. One mina, 10 mina, 10 cities. Wow. I don't know how the math works out, but that sounds like a pretty good deal. Well, I want to start off ruling the 10 cities. Here's a dollar. Be faithful with that. You've got to be faithful in the little things. So don't despise small responsibilities. And number three, don't despise small people. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We as Christians, as mature believers, look, none of you left for youth group when we dismissed. None of you left for child ministry when we dismissed. So I'm taking it that you're grown adults. I use that term loosely, so don't <laughs> get uncomfortable. But listen to me. Uh, we should not despise young Christians. We should not despise youth. We shouldn't despise children. Now, I know we don't do that here, but our flesh is tempted to do that sometimes. When a young person says something or they want to share something or, you know, they want to tell you something and like they got something to share with you. And then the, the, the oldness in us looks down at them like, what are you talking about, kid? Listen, I was a youth pastor for five years. I've heard some things come out of the mouths of young people that had a depth and a power and an anointing that I hadn't heard anywhere else. Now, I was a youth pastor for five years, and I've heard a lot of stupid stuff come out of the same mouths. But we can't categorically dismiss the young people. We, can, we, we should never make them feel less of a Christian, less of a, a, a child of God. And with our children, too, you know, all, all the praying we've been doing for our schools and all the, the praying we were doing. Why? Because we recognize children are the future and they're precious and the enemy wants to pollute them. You know, it's, it's the same with our young people. We need to be grooming them to pass the baton to them because we're not going to be here for, you know, some of us are on our way out. I don't know about you. They're sending me more and more letters from AARP. I hate them letters. Right to the shredder, Pastor Mike. Yeah. But we're not going to be here forever, and we got to pass the baton, so we shouldn't despise small people or small responsibilities or small progress. Such a powerful lesson that we learned 
from the seed here, uh, the second half of 32 tells us that that smallest of all seeds becomes the greatest of herbs. It becomes a great plant, a bush, almost like a, uh, when it's full grown, it's almost like a tree. You know, this makes us revisit the idea of potential. There again, we see that small little seed and we think it's going to be a small little plant, but it's not. It's a small seed that produces a huge plant. And, and many times we have a hard time seeing the potential in something small. You know, this old proverb is true. Uh, God sees the potential. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. Think about that. Yeah, you eat an apple, you spit the seeds out, you count them up. You usually don't even have to take your shoes and socks off. It's less than 10. Seven, seven seeds. God can take that seed and go, a thousand apples. Wow. That one seed put in the ground becomes an apple tree and produces for 50, 60 years, crop after crop. And, and God looks and he knows and he can tell. God recognizes potential. We're born in seed form. We're all blank canvases. There was an artist. He ordered a bunch of canvases, and they got lost in the mail, and he was a very talented artist, and he wasn't shy about his talent. And they said to him, your canvases are lost. Were they of great, were they of great value to you? And he said, not yet. You see, but we're a blank canvas that God begins to paint on. And we might not see a lot of value in the beginning, but God is making a masterpiece out of all of our lives. We've got to trust the God who can count the apples in a seed. So many people have amazing God-given gifts. And, and some people seem to have an abundance of talent and giftings and potential. And you look at them and go, wow, what an amazing potential. Yet so many of those same people never even come close to reaching their God-given potential. Why is that? Israel looked at Saul and the Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He wasn't using head and shoulders shampoo because he got dandruff. He was a tall, big, strong, handsome guy. He was head and shoulders. Everybody's down here. Here's big, majestic, handsome Saul. And the people said, "Woo! we want him to be our king. And God never chose him. And we know what happened with Saul. He was an abject failure and an absolute disaster for Israel. God chose some red-headed, freckle-faced, bow-legged, sheep-herding guy named David who was out in the field, and his father, his own father, didn't even think enough of him to call him into the house when the prophet was going to choose the next king among the sons of Jesse. Samuel said, not him, not him, not him, not him, none of these guys. What else you got? He said, well, I got one more. He's out with the sheep in the field. Call him in. We're not going to sit down to eat until I see him. He takes one look at him. That's the one. He breaks the horn, and he anoints him king. Wow. The people chose Saul because he was majestic, and he was the people's choice. God chose David because he knew he'd be a man after his own heart. Potential. Only God knows it. Only God sees it. And only God knows who will reach it. He knows the people who won't, and he knows the people who do. Notice when the small thing, the small seed, reaches its potential, 
It's the greatest. I love that. It says, when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs. So it was the little thing. It was insignificant. Nobody would choose it. But now it's reached its potential, and it's the greatest. You know, the little things, the insignificant things, the things about ourselves we don't like, the things we never thought were an advantage or a value or even a gift, God's going to turn some of those seemingly insignificant things into our greatest assets. It's a good place to clap. Say, how's he going to do it? He's God. He can count the apples in a seed. He knows our potential, and he knows how to get us to reach it. That tiny mustard seed becomes something so substantial that the birds can actually nest in it. You know, you see little things and you see big things and you see people who reach their potential and people who don't and it can be confusing sometimes we don't like the small things but we've got to learn to trust god and to consider that he knows the beginning from the end we have to labor faithfully to maximize the potential of what we have If you don't take anything with you from this message tonight when you go home, take this home with you. Maximize the potential with what you have in your hands right now. Don't wait, oh, I need this and I need that and I need more partners, I need more money, I need more attendance, I need more. No, no. whatever you've got in your hand, maximize it. Be faithful with that little thing. Listen. God will begin to bring all those other things that you think you need, but he's waiting for us to maximize the potential uh, of what we've got. Because if we don't learn to do that, when we get the more and the bigger and the better, we squander the potential of that. Lastly, we should never write anyone off because they haven't had a chance to reach their potential. You know, many times the world looks at people who are floundering and think, ah, they'll never amount to anything. And they, they judge them, and that, they're done. They're never, you know, they're finished. They wasted. They missed it. They're disqualified. Believers should never do that because God has reached down into humanity and took some of the worst of the worst and turned them into the best of the best. Instead of dismissing people and judging them or telling, you know, saying, hey, you know, we make a judgment, you're not going to amount to anything. Instead, all of us should help everyone we can to be the best God made them to be. Imagine if all of us helped each other. Imagine if all of us encouraged each other. Imagine if we didn't compete with each other. Imagine if we weren't jealous of other people's blessings. Just imagine with me. close with this story a 16 year old girl named eliza married a 20 year old taylor that 20 year old taylor had never been to school a day in his life others might have written off his education as a total loss but eliza did not she took the time to teach him to read then she taught him to write and to spell and he proved to be a very fast learner in fact he learned so well that years later he was elected president of the united states he also ran for a second term and lost but refused to give up and instead won a senate seat who was this uneducated taylor our 17th president andrew johnson if it wasn't for someone like Eliza who had a heart to help another, he would have never reached his potential. You and I can help others reach their potential. 
if we refuse to write them off and instead labor to make them be the best that God can be. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for your word. I thank you tonight for Matthew 13. I thank you for this kingdom parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Father, we've learned a lot about seed, and we've learned a lot about potential. We've learned a lot about our gifts and our callings and our anointings. They all come in seed form. Our relationships, Father, I pray that each of us would labor on these things, these things that really matter. Our relationships matter. We can take people to heaven with us. Our anointing matters. It can help others reach their potential. Our gifts matter. They can be a blessing to us and to everyone around us. So help us to labor on the things that matter, to recognize things come in seed form, and to not be frustrated even when progress seems slow. You are taking all of us blank canvases and painting masterpieces on those canvases. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do with a surrendered life. We, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.